0: You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 184, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. For this edition of the podcast, Zach Romano joins me as co-host for an interview with Brooklyn-based author Mandy Brownholtz. Brownholtz just released her debut novel, Rotten, which tells the story of a young 20-something named Viv Taylor as she navigates the seedy underbelly of the DIY scene in Washington, D.C. The plot of Rotten sees Viv confronting past traumas experienced through the scene and also confronts issues of consent and millennial sexual politics, particularly in the context of tight-knit music communities. During our interview... We chatted about Brownholtz's decision to self-publish the novel and what went into that process, the ooze motif that follows Viv throughout the book, how Brownholtz's own experiences in the DIY community helped her develop the characters in Rotten, and more. Plus, Brownholtz picked some awesome records from my record collection from Time's New Viking, Parquet Courts... Fiona Apple, and more. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website, where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. Hey, you're listening to Look at My Records. Super excited to have, hey, my friend Zach Romano. Look at my records contributor here as co-host. And we're talking with the great Mandy Brownholtz. She just released her first ever novel, Rotten. Congratulations, Mandy. That is super exciting.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: And welcome to the podcast Just for everyone that's listening a little bit about the book, Rotten tells the story of Viv Taylor. Uh, She's a girl that spent a lot of time in and around the DIY music scene in Washington, D.C., starting in her teenage years. Um, And the book kind of goes into her experiences specifically at this venue, Fort Rotten, uh, some of the traumas that she's endured there and uh, some of the other experiences in her life and how they're interconnected. But before we really get into the book, how it came about, I'm really curious about your background. Uh, Were you someone that played in bands before? Or are you just someone who's been interested in music and has spent a lot of time in and around DIY scenes uh, since you were a teenager?
1: um definitely the latter i actually don't play any instruments which is
0: me too me shocking too
1: to too. people <laughs> uh yeah no i uh, started going to shows in dc in and around dc when i was in high school i'm from the dc suburbs in maryland um uh and it was just i don't know it was it, it's always been a, a time in my life that kind of inspired me because i guess it was just like a really early taste of like what music and art can be if you just do it and like don't wait for someone to give you any kind of institutional support. I was like, I didn't know people were doing this stuff, you know, because I was like, you know, I was a kid and then I, I I found this like this like little world in D.C. and I and I was so into it um, and it was very formative. And then I started working in the music industry when I was in college um. I had a cousin uh, who grew up in Missouri but moved to DC after college, the DC area, since most of our family is from there. Um, And he had a job in the kitchen at the 930 Club, uh, which is called Food Food, the kitchen. (laughs) Uh, And that does like all the hospitality for the bands. Like it plays, they they make food for all the the bands that come in and then they also serve food to the customers. Um, And he got me a job there when I was in college. um, And that was my first music industry gig and i kind of worked my way up through the 930 club food chain i worked in the box office and then i worked in the marketing department um yeah and then i moved to new york and i and i started working in the music industry here and it's kind of just been that all the way i'm i'm grateful that it's been mostly uh independent venues and and i never really have worked for like a like a live nation or like an aeg or cool, anything cool, cool, so cool, cool. i'm happy to say that for <laughs> nice. better or for worse
2: so uh we're recording on uh, the 23rd and the book came out officially yesterday right
1: uh-huh yes
2: awesome so how does it feel to have it out there after after all the work that you put into it
1: it feels pretty insane, honestly. It's a it's a little nerve wracking. I mean, I'm obviously so grateful that everybody's been so enthusiastic about it and that the feedback has been so overwhelmingly positive. But um, like I said, I've said to other people, um, I've spent most of my career promoting other people's music and artwork and never my own. So mm-hmm. that was definitely mm-hmm. like a weird hurdle to get over. Kind of was like starting to feel comfortable talking about myself and my and my uh, work um but also like writing is just such a solitary process and it's such a like a like a slog uphill kind of uh because you don't really it's not like obviously like any type of art requires a lot of work but there isn't like the instant gratification of like releasing a single and like getting positive feedback on it and being like oh like I should keep going because what I'm doing is good, you know. Like you didn't, you don't really know. You're like, is is what I'm doing worthwhile, or am I crazy? You know.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Totally.
1: But I decided to move forward with it. Um, I took a workshop in Brooklyn a couple summers ago um, when the novel was like in near completion. It was like draft three, um, and the feedback from the teacher was so positive that I um, felt confident to keep going, uh, even though I didn't imagine than that I would be doing it this way. I didn't see myself self-publishing it this way, but I'm really glad that I did.
0: What made you want to write a novel in particular? You sound like you have a lot of experience working behind the scenes in DIY and music venues. When did you get involved with, you you do a lot of journalism. You've written for the New York Times and AudioFemme. Uh, When did you want to get involved in pursuing something within the realm of fiction?
1: Oh, my whole life. Um, I just didn't think that it was uh, practical or possible. (laughs) You know, Um, I think the first time I tried to write a novel, I was like eight years old. (laughs) Um, But this is the first time I've succeeded (laughs) and finished it. Um, So that's always been like a passion of mine, an interest of mine. I'm a huge reader I love to read and I love books. Music, obviously, I also love and I love writing about music and culture too. But it just, I I started it in like 2017, I believe, the summer when I was still, when I still had like a full time music job. Um, And then I quit working a full time industry job and was doing like part time and freelance stuff. And that's really when like it kind of um, took over and picked up. So as far as the subject matter,
0: was it natural for you to kind of write about? what you really knew a lot about working within spaces and frequenting different DIY spaces and kind of the positive aspects of them, but also the toxic aspects of them that are, you know, really kind of beneath the surface, but are kind of bubbling more to the surface and becoming more well-known now.
1: Um, It definitely felt like a natural setting. Um, Like I said, I, I found that time of my life when I was like first discovering this type of universe to be really formative and inspiring. And, um, you know, I still keep in touch with some of the people I met then, you know, and, uh, like I said, it was just a, it was a really early example of just doing things on your own terms. So I, I found it formative in that way, but also, um, I don't think it's all bad. And I don't think that, yeah. The, the subject matter is by any means confined to DIY music. It just right. felt like the most natural yeah, yeah. setting because that's what I know. I do think that like the kind of like freedom and no rules aspect of, of DIY music culture maybe leaves it a little bit more uh, risky to that kind of behavior, but it's by no means uh, exclusive.
2: So a, a lot of the book kind of orbits around... Um, this, this venue and living space called Fort Rotten. There are like beer cans and, and a snake. Um, is, is this based off a spot that you, you went to or kind of a, a combination of different spots or just something that is totally from
1: your mind? Uh, It's like a combination of a couple spots. I want to like protect the identity of uh, (laughs) the the, the (laughs) venues that I uh, did reference. A couple of the places in the book are real places. Uh, The Black Cat is a real place. Yeah. That I obviously you guys know that the Pinch is a real place. Uh, They go to I think they go to Dodge City and and maybe they go to DC Nine. I can't remember. They go to some bars on U Street that are real. Um Fort Rodden is definitely like an amalgamation of places I have spent a lot of time in in high school and college. How about developing the characters
0: in this book? There's so many characters that feel, you know, very real and relatable. Of course, Viv, who's the main character, she has a very complicated history with her her family and trying to basically find herself in this world. Um, she deals with a, a guy named Nolan, who's kind of the object of, of her affection and someone that she kind of repeatedly pines for in the beginning. Um, her best friend, Lulu, their relationship like kind of sours after living together for so long, which is something that I think anyone that's had a roommate, particularly in Uh, a place like New York or DC can totally relate to. How'd you go about developing the characters in this
1: book? Um, I would say like, some of them are composites of people um, that are like vaguely based off of people that I know, but are like combined with other people I've met in my life kind of at different times. Like they're not even all from DC. but it's mostly that. It's like they feel real because it's like I don't know. I I fiction is really just taking reality and kind of like putting it on steroids in a way. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like mixing up the puzzle pieces to make it work into like a narrative. Uh, yeah, like
2: like speaking of mixing up the puzzle pieces, one thing that I thought that the book did really well was kind of maintain momentum in the in like the the present day narrative while also going back and like fleshing out a lot of what's happening with memories and, and recollections. And I always thought doing something like that, if I were ever to write a novel would be really difficult to do. So did, did that kind of come naturally to you or is that something you had to really like teach yourself and, and how did you go about doing that?
1: Um, it was super intentional. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to sort of like play with the idea of memory and how it's like both really reliable and unreliable at the same time mm-hmm. in a way. Um, like it, like like certain aspects of it are like very vivid and you definitely know that that's what happened but then like it kind of like gets muddy at times and stuff um, I tried to read like other it's funny because like I, some writers will tell you like I recently interviewed Otessa Moshveg, the novelist for an audio film feature and she was talking to me about how she did not read other novels um, when she was writing because she didn't want it to like sort of inform her style um but I kind of feel the opposite way Is when I was I mean I guess like I didn't I didn't go to like an MFA program or anything for for fiction but um I was kind of trying to like teach myself you know I was look at how people that I really respected did it um to sort of learn like an example I can think of off the top of my head is uh Jeffrey Eugenides uh The Virgin Suicides because that book is almost written entirely in in memories um and i wanted to kind of yeah see that, that's
2: a that's a really interesting one because that's also written in like the in the second person yeah like, that's right. a yeah but that's... i wanted to
1: see how he how he like wrote like as as memories to sort mm-hmm, of inform mm-hmm. my style and then when I, when i did start workshopping it that was like they always give you in like a workshop they're like what kind of things do you like want people to like look out for um they they ask they give you the opportunity to ask for intentional feedback and then like stuff that you may not have thought of. But Got I definitely it. was like, um, does this make sense <laughs> to you guys? Uh, and when people, whenever I would let people read it in like the the draft stages, I was like, make sure that it makes sense and let me know if it doesn't. And just like building better transitions back and forth to make it like not feel too abrupt. Mm hmm. mm -hmm. So I hope it was effective. I hope it made sense.
2: Oh, yeah, for for (laughs) sure. Like in in, in music and in writing, the transitions are always a pain point.
0: Yeah. What was the process of workshopping a novel like for you, especially since it's your first novel? To me, when I think of writing a novel, it sounds like it's a way more intensive process than, say, writing a record because I typically talk to musicians about their processes behind writing an album and writing songs. But this seems like you go through multiple uh, lengthy drafts and you're getting feedback from a lot of different people as well. What was that process like for you, especially since it was your first time uh, going through it?
1: Um, it was definitely, like, a learn-as-you-go kind of thing. Like, I was just sort of making it up as I went along. But um, the best kind of metaphor that I've been able to come up with for it is, like... And it occurred to me when I went and saw this show at the Met a couple years ago, a couple summers ago. They had uh, Eugene Delacroix, the paint, the French painter. They had, like, a show about his paintings, but they showed, like, draft versions of them. Like, painting sketches, which I, which are just, like, very loose versions of the same composition and they would show you like multiple and then the final finished product and I was like looking at these paintings and this was when I was on like draft two I think and I was like that's what it is you know it kind of or or, like Mm -hmm. the other metaphor is like that I've been able to come up with is like when you go to the eye doctor and they put you everybody here is wearing glasses (laughs) Um, and they put the (laughs) they put the the things on your your eyes the lenses and they're like now how does that look how does that look it kind of like with each draft i felt like i kind of like crystallized a little bit for me what i w- it was exactly that i was trying to say um i'm a big believer in outlining i can't imagine I, I i assume there are people out there in the world who can write a really lengthy narrative just letting it guide them but i am not one of those people i require like a plan and it, it kind of it, it shifts as you do it but i need sort of a Roadmap, mm-hmm. And then with each draft, you kind of, I mean, you, you let it sit, you write it and then you like, let it sit for a couple of weeks before you look at it. And then you, cause you're just so in it. Um, and then I would revisit it and I would edit and refine kind of, um, I didn't really show anybody a draft until the third draft. And I didn't show anybody that I knew personally, like the only people I let see it in that capacity were people that I met through doing a writing workshop, um, which I did through the Sackett street writers program in Brooklyn which was fabulous it was like a it was a couple of months um it was it was supposed to be like a novel intensive for people who were working on like novels and memoirs and and long-form work um who already had like a fair amount of writing done um and you had the opportunity to turn in like 5,000 words every two weeks so I wrote a large chunk of it like in that workshop with like just refining what I already had and then filling it in with new stuff
2: so your your editor well i guess i mean there are a lot of people who saw it but the 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 person who did the most editing work is is from audio femme right
1: her name is Lindsay rhodes um this was like i i i credit audio femme so much uh in my life i started working for audio femme after a kind of like negative experience in the brooklyn music industry um, and I had always looked to Annie White, who's the founder of Fam. She's a very dear friend of mine and, and, um, a mentor of sorts. And I was feeling troubled about this work situation and I went to her and I, and I told her what was going on and she's like, you're quitting and you're working for Fam." So she kind of just like wow. made room for me. Princess. I had been writing for them, like freelance for a couple of years and then they made room for me as like the marketing person. So I started doing all the social media and email stuff. Um, but they were the ones that really like encouraged me to go for this because i remember the whole thing kind of tabled like so many other things because of the pandemic Uh, the the week the week that the pandemic hit and like everything shut down i had just started sending out queries to like agents like query letters being like this is my project i'm seeking representation because if you do it the traditional way you need an agent to like
0: yeah
1: yeah
2: yeah yeah yeah, yeah, exactly
1: um so I was like, well, I guess I'm not doing this this year. Like, that was my plan for 2020 was to, like, get an agent or try to anyway. Um, and then it got to be, like, September, and it was, like, kind of when we were, like, halfway reopened and you could, like, sit outside, and I was having some drinks with Annie and uh, Lauren Zambri, who used to do the booking for Audio Femme shows, and now I think she works at 99 Scott, perhaps? I can't remember. Anyway, that's a venue in Brooklyn. But, um, she was like, Mandy, you should just do it. Like, Get, get Lindsay to edit it, because Lindsay edits all my writing for film anyway, and just, like, put it out. Like, you know how to do marketing, like, because
0: that's mm-hmm. what I've been
1: doing in the music industry since, like, I graduated from college. Um, so I was like, maybe that's not a crazy idea. <laughs> yeah, so, like, how was, how was working with her different
2: on your articles rather than the whole book? Because those are, like, two totally different enterprises.
1: Um, it was definitely more hands-on. Uh and it was more like very nitpicky, which I wanted. Like she kept when we would have calls with each other, she'd be like, I'm sorry. This is like, so annoying." I'm like, it's not (laughs) annoying. This This is why I hired you, you know, uh, please like go in, you know, um, she's just great. And, uh, I trusted her a lot with the, with the story. And I trusted her to tell me when something wasn't working, um, in a constructive way. Uh, So that was really the main difference. I feel like with audio fam, it's more just like I turn in my work and then she lightly edits it and posts it. But with this, it was a lot more like going through like multiple drafts and sending each other like questions like, Oh, do you think this comma would be better here? Kind of stuff. (laughs) Got
0: it. Got it. Yeah. Going back to the book, um, the, and, and the narrative you've described the story as very personal to you and just from reading it, the characters, people, places, you know, very authentic and really come to life when you read it for someone that like me, who has been going to shows and things like that, it's very relatable. So was that hard for you to share some of the, you know, more challenging and traumatic experiences that Viv uh, experienced? Or the fact that this was uh, kind of filtered through these different characters, did that layer of separation make it a little easier?
1: Um, Yes and no. And, like, not everything that happened is, like, personal to me. It's also, like, personal to people that I know or stories yeah. that I've heard or, or yeah. heard through, like, mm-hmm. the scene or other types of stuff. But um, there were certain parts of it that were definitely harder to write than others um, that I kind of was, like gritting my teeth getting through um it it did help i guess to to have it like i said like i was saying before kind of when you're writing fiction it's like taking things that you know happened and you have like opinions about and things to say and it's like sort of making them fit to what you to the purpose that you need them to serve in the narrative so it was a little bit easier because i could like decide what i wanted to happen and i could put put it where i wanted to go whereas like in real life Things just kind of happen randomly with no rhyme or reason. And they don't, you know what I mean? You're like, why did that happen? But like, if you're writing your narrative, your book, um, you kind of get to decide where it goes and why. And going into the characters again, uh, what I really
0: liked is that I felt like every character in the book had their own set of flaws. More, some more than others, obviously. Kind of helps to add that realism to the story. Even Viv, the main character, you know, who's a very sympathetic character. Um, But she's definitely not perfect. I felt like in the way she kind of treats her roommate, Lulu. And sometimes her interactions with Tori, who was the girlfriend of Viv's love interest, Nolan. And she kind of like acknowledges that at a certain point in the book that she was like, maybe... I was shitty to her. But I was curious about, since she was a protagonist, why was it important for you to make sure she wasn't a perfect person or perfect character?
1: It was really important to me that she might not like be likable all the time. Um, and the female characters are like, I, I really enjoyed writing them and making them complex and problematic. And because I feel like, I, at least in my experience in my 20s, um and in my teens i guess my whole like just like in my experience uh female friendships tend to be really complicated in that way and there's a lot of like there's a lot of like communication that takes place without verbalizing it and there's also like a lot of like talking past each other i feel like because i feel like these girls each brought like their own like set of problematic issues to the friendship um Mm And they weren't evil and they both saw them in each other but they weren't able to see them in themselves kind of and um, yeah I liked that Viv had like a like it was kind of intentional to me to make her have like a growing self-awareness about this stuff as things begin to unfold and she's like reflecting back on them but totally even aside from all of that it was important for me that she'd be kind of flawed and, and make bad choices and and not always be likable um, in like the popular narrative about how like things like this, like like sexual assault and and sexual misconduct, it's like there's so much emphasis placed on like the the moral aptitude of like the female involved. You yeah, know? Right. Like like that's, the, like, the, the classic victim is like victim or what was she wearing, you know, like that kind of thing. Um and I wanted it to be like kind of like murky, you know? Like uh because these things, they oh, are—they sure. are—murky.
2: Yeah, yeah, and um I, I think it's it, it said a couple of times, like like people coming to realize that they're not responsible for the shitty actions of others, despite the fact that they they're a bit messy. That still doesn't make them responsible for other people being pieces of shit. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's one of the things that Viv kind of deals with, and one of the realizations that she has is she grows throughout the book
1: totally totally that 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 was a huge thing and but also taking also the 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 purpose of it too is kind of that like even if you like obviously we don't want to blame anybody for things that happen to them but like choices that you do make impacts like where you end up kind of you know what i mean the whole point of like including all of the backstory with the family and everything was kind of to emphasize that like we all have very little control. And that's kind of what got me started writing this, was just thinking about things like, wow, we really don't have that much control over any of the choices we make when you really think about it on, like, a kind yeah, of... Yeah, totally. Like, cosmic yeah, there, level. Yeah, there's, uh,
2: there, there's a part of the book where um, it, it pretty much traces Viv's family situation, especially her dad, like, directly to her, her presence at, at Fort Rotten. How, how like the friends she made as a result of trying to get out of the house and how those friends are tied to the place. And yeah,
1: exactly. Like would ha- any of this stuff had ever happened if like X, Y, Z hadn't have happened. You know what I mean? Like, and we, we, we talk about like choice and consent, but like those words are very fraught when you think about it, um, in the sense that like, we don't have a lot of control over our circumstances of, of the people that we are. So like when you are like thinking about making a choice, um who's really doing it, you know?
0: Yeah, especially when we're children, which I thought why it really made Viv, uh, Viv's story particularly powerful was getting back into uh, the trauma that she endured uh, from an abusive father and how that kind of stays with her. And, you know, she has to carry with that through Her, you know, early adulthood as well in these other interactions that she goes through.
1: Totally, and it's usually not until after you've been through like a bunch of crazy stuff as a result of that that you like have the self awareness to make a connection between the two things. You know what I mean? So it's like you're like I feel like when you're like when you do experience stuff like that. I mean, everybody has stuff from their childhood that impacts who they are as like an adult or an adolescent. But I feel like when you're an adolescent or a young adult, you're kind of flying blind a little bit and you're just like running around like a chicken with your head cut off making crazy choices you're like why am i doing this you know and then eventually you're like oh okay it all kind of clicks into place
0: totally so this is kind of like a hardcore english class question please bring it on (laughs) <laughs> I really, I really thought the the ooze motif was cool. That kept coming up in the book, N- not cool, but like powerful. powerful. Mm-hmm. In that it shows up and revisits live the ooze whenever she's reminded about that, you know, trauma that she experienced surrounding uh, sexual assault, and it's like this physical manifestation of the assault that comes back to her whenever she is reminded of, of it. And she has to carry that with her. So what you want the ooze to represent? What was about, what was behind the concept of basically turning her, you know, trauma into this like physical manifestation, this like physical thing?
1: Um, because I think it made it more powerful than if I had just, you know, like the word trigger comes to mind kind yeah. of and it's like i feel like a lot of times like words like that are so overused to the point of like almost being meaningless where you kind of just glaze over when you see it and it doesn't really have impact um but that's really kind of what the ooze is right you know like it, it, it is triggered by when you she sees something that brings yeah. her back to that space and and that memory and then it's like a physical manifestation of the anxiety that is brought on from ex- yeah from re-experiencing that experience. Um and I thought that the ooze was just like a far more visceral way to experience that than if I had just been like, oh, this this thing triggered this memory, you know, because yeah you know, people kind of immediately dismiss that at this point because it's been overused to the point of meaninglessness. I'm I'm curious when in the
0: pro because it's something that appears like multiple times in the book and that was like kind of the, the cool connecting thing that I thought that the ooze appeared, you know, so-and-so amount of times. When did you realize that you wanted that specifically to reappear in the book multiple times like that? I
1: don't know. I think it kind of just like, it, it seemed obvious because the book deals yeah. with memory and like trauma and stuff it, like that. It was like an obvious motif. Um, I can't remember the exact moment that I like decided to, do it or even to capitalize it but I I like stuff like that in yeah. books and TV shows like right now I'm watching uh, I just finished watching the last season of Insecure that I somehow missed and it I, I I love the theme that Issa Rae plays with in the writing with the mirror where she's like has the girl in the mirror that she like raps at oh right right yeah, yeah, yeah. I love stuff like that where it kind of like takes you out of like the reality of the moment and like it's like fun you know the, another example in the book that i can think of is the concept of um radical self-love with the trademark sign yeah, to yeah. it because <laughs> i'm super interested in how like wellness is co- so commodified and marketed to women like viv who um are going through it or whatever i guess anybody mm-hmm. but uh in this day and age it's like you you have to fork over a bunch of money to like deal with your bullshit you know what i mean you're like oh i have to pay for the yoga classes and like my skincare products and my my smoothie or whatever you know what i mean um do
2: you think they've got anything out of all that stuff
1: i think that she did um but who knows how necessary any of it is it's just like a reality right. of, of living nowadays um almost to the point that like when you you stray from it, it's it's kind of become like almost like um like culty, you know. When you stray from like the proper the 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 popular narrative of it, um, you're like chastised in a way. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, the it was it's interesting to me because I feel like Viv in in most of the book was you know obviously really depressed and struggling with these different kinds of traumas that she experienced in her in her life but I feel like she also never never outwardly admitted it which I feel like is common of a lot of people that are really struggling with depression and then they're kind of seeking out these different things radical self-love different ways to make themselves feel better so just another way I thought she as a character was totally relatable
1: Thank you. Yeah, it was it was important to me for that to to come across because it's kind of like it's supposed to feel like she's just like throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. You know, she's like, let me just keep throwing stuff at this problem until something works and I don't feel this way anymore.
0: Yeah, and it's like a much deeper problem that she's really struggling with. Yeah. Yeah, it's just totally powerful. But I thought it was, you know, great that. The kind of ar- narrative arc is that, you know, she kind of turns things around at the end and you see she's like doing a lot better, you know, kind of like a she kind of turns things around after she's able to speak her truth and tell her story. It seems that she's able to kind of grapple with what she was going through, um, put it out there and own it really so that she could get on the right track and feel better about herself because I noticed I think in the last chapter no mention of the ooze but mention of radical self-love in a in a good way though that That was intentional but she's kind of able to love her you know I, I noticed that she's able to kind of shed that insecurity that she previously had towards the end and feel and feel much better
1: absolutely and it's interesting that you just pointed that out that the motif uh doesn't appear in the last chapter but the radical self-love does where like the opposite is true like the radical self-love motif doesn't occur until way later in the narrative than the uzwa does i never i was not intentional and i didn't consider it but it's interesting that you picked up on it um but that's kind of what i was getting at earlier when we were talking about like the the family stuff is that like putting words to something and like having self-awareness about how it's impacted you is powerful. Um, Very. Yeah. In terms of getting over it. I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. um, cause she, I mean, it, cause it's like you gain greater self-awareness about like the ways in that like you've maybe been problematic as a result of those things, you know, like she gained greater self-awareness of like how her issues were negatively impacting Lulu and like even though like they weren't necessarily able to repair their relationship, yeah. um, maybe she's gonna be a better friend and a better roommate moving forward because she's realized this about herself, you know.
0: Yeah, totally. It was a very moving on ending because there's a she has a new roommate and she moves forward with that and seems to be doing a lot better. But in many ways, Viv's story is really heavy, but also you know inspiring because she she made the brave decision to to call out her abuser and you know put him on blast essentially up until that point she she kind of struggles with depression but then things changed as we had just mentioned uh, obviously for anyone kind of going through something like that it's a very personal decision to you know share their story and you know learn to you know move past it forgive them you know learn that they didn't do anything wrong um, and feel okay about it and feel better about it with that in mind what do you hope that people who may have experienced trauma in a similar way that Viv did take away from her story after reading this book
1: I mean I hope people feel seen I definitely wrote it with the intention of like people who have experienced this kind of stuff and like might be overthinking their role in it that like even if they did like make some kind of mistake along the way that doesn't mean that like it should have happened that way you know like um but it was i also wrote it with people who haven't experienced that kind of stuff in mind in the hopes that like you see the layers of gray um and how complicated and murky these types of situations are i was i had another I was talking to some other journalist, um, a few weeks ago and she brought up the, the drama with, I forget the exact case that it was, but there was like the Washington Post wasn't letting this one reporter cover a major sexual assault trial because she had experienced sexual assault in the past. And it opened up like this like whole can of worms with like journalistic ethics. And I'm not sure how it resolved itself, but, um, what made me think what it made me think is like that's that's a person that should be covering that because they like understand like all of the crazy like layers that that there are to it because you know a common thing i feel like when um i just watched that show finally on hbo um i may destroy you the one um yeah. I don't know if anybody watched Everybody told me to watch it after they read my oh, book. Yeah, and then I watched it, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is why everybody's Oh, yeah, totally. To it.
2: Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought of that, but it does cover a lot of, like, it the same gray area stuff. It covers a lot area of the same stuff,
1: stuff. Um, and I loved it. And I loved uh, how they showed her having to, like, repeat the same story over and over again to the police. And, like, A, when you're, like being traumatized in the present moment your body goes into like fight or flight response right so like your memory is not going to be perfect anyway and then you have like you're tired and these cops are like asking you the same questions over and over again it's like no surprise that your story is going to shift a little bit because memory isn't perfect especially when you're you're dealing with like something traumatic so it's just like i feel like that that kind of stuff gets lost um when you haven't experienced it and i and i hope that by sort of taking people because the book is pretty cerebral you know most of it takes place in her head um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i wanted people to get like kind of like an inside peek into like what the the mental state or like inner world of somebody that's dealing with something like that might be like so the book
0: really explores how DIY scenes can be predatory and take advantage of those that are vulnerable in some ways. I'm specifically thinking of how Viv uh goes to a house show when she's 17, she meets this guy that's in her 20s, another character, Zeke, and you know, they kind of wind up having this relationship. And you know, it it definitely raises the question of those kind of uh, you know, things that show, totally shouldn't really happen in these kind of spaces and how they can be unsafe at times. So after writing this book, being a part of scenes in two cities, how do you think these spaces can work towards becoming safer
1: it's so difficult to say and it's like the sort of thing where it's like when you when you're like a teenage girl and you're talking to because that's so real it's like these guys in their
3: yeah, yeah. early
1: mid-20s talking to girls at shows that are like 17 18 years old which is like for better or for worse it just happens um when you're that young you don't realize how young you are until you're way older you know you're like yeah. wow i was a baby when i was doing that that's like pretty fucked up you know um so i think it's it's on it's on men ultimately because it's like these older men need to do better they need to to behave better obviously but they also need to like call out their friends more when they see not just when they see their friends doing something problematic obviously step in then but like even if you see your friends saying problematic stuff like i feel like if, if in in spaces where men are are talking if if one of your friends says something that's like obviously kind of off like in that way like say like hey man that's not cool
0: yeah that's how you change the the culture you know
1: i feel like women getting loud and angry only really serves to make people act defensive a lot of the times um so i think like most of the culture change that needs to happen has to come from men Um, That's fair. It it was so ironic that the summer before this book came out, uh, all the Burger Records shit hit the fan, because it was just such a it was just such a staunch, like real life example of what I was trying to talk about. Totally.
0: Yeah. How how much did that resonate with you when that all unfolded? Given that you had basically finished this book or almost finished this book at that point
1: based off of my experience as being a teenage girl in these types of spaces it didn't surprise me at all yeah you know um and even as like a, a as an adult woman working in the music industry uh the music industry is a tricky one because it's like a it's like a party you know your job is like you're at the you're at the show you know you're you're drinking alcohol you're backstage drug use whatever um, so that it's already complicated because in order to like network, like you have to be out at the show, um, especially if you work in like the agent A and R side. So like that's complicated, and then it's also made more complicated by the fact that you're constantly told that there's a million people that could replace you. If you don't want this job, there's a there's a there's a bunch of people lined up that will take it, you know, so it makes it harder to advocate yourself, not just in situations like this where you're like being potentially harassed or or any kind of misconduct, but like even just dealing with like financial stuff, you know, like I've spoken up at at music jobs about that kind of stuff. And they're like, well, there's the door, you know, if you don't want to if you don't want to work here we could find somebody else that can afford to live in New York city for $25,000 a year. You know what I mean? For whatever reason. Um, So that, yeah, that kind of stuff, I think.
0: How important was it for you to basically publish this book yourself, essentially?
1: Well, it wasn't the plan. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't intend to do it that way, but I'm ultimately really glad that I did. Uh, I feel like in, 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 writing and books in the literary world there's less of there's no there's no real like diy spirit the way that there is in like music um it's very it's very institutional it's like who you know you know and it's uh it's like status uh it it wasn't really until the last couple years especially with like the the rise of like the amazon self-publishing um platform that like self publishing wasn't a punchline you know like oh it, it indicated that you weren't good enough to do it the traditional way right um so i kind of i kind of had like this like mental block up about it even though i've had this like half of my life almost at this point have been spent in independent diy music scenes where i'm watching musicians create and release their own records and it never really like clicked for me um, until my friend, Lauren, was like, you should just do it, you know? Um, and my friend's mom actually encouraged me to do it, too. She's, a, she's an author. She's a chef and an author, and she's written a couple memoirs. And she's self-published on Amazon. And she was like, you should just do that. But um, obviously, I didn't want to use Amazon uh, for, for many reasons that I'm sure you, you would uh, agree with. But... Um I, I, the self-publishing route ended up being so much more fulfilling, uh, even though it was like, it cost a fortune. It was like stressful and crazy. I wouldn't have done it any other way at this point only because it gave me complete creative control over the entire process. You know, when you go publish your book at like a publisher, like there's a marketing department that's overseeing the design, you know, like I don't, I don't think you get like complete say over everything. Um, and we, me and Johnny, uh, who designed the book, Johnny, Johnny, Campolo, who's a designer and an artist, um, living in Brooklyn. He plays in uh, the band PE. Um,
0: Oh, great. Yeah. They're awesome.
1: Yeah. He's a fabulous designer that I used to make flyers with, uh, at an old job. Um, and I always looked his work and I reached out to him and, uh, we kind of just like immediately clicked creatively about what we wanted it to be because my big thing is i was like i want this shit to look pro like i wanted it to be clean and professional and look really nice and i almost wanted to like you know how they always say like people buy books now and they don't read them you know like i kind of almost right. wanted to, like play on that in a way because i totally think that you can judge a book by its cover um so i wanted it to be something that was like beautiful and um like a nice object, as much as it a book to read. Uh, so like i don't I don't think any like publishing house would have let me like go crazy with the design the way that Johnny and I did, but we had such a blast, and we're so proud of how it turned out.
0: What was that process like working with him to create the design? Because it is this really cool yellow cover? with these cool zigzags and dots on it. It's and, to, um,
1: those are the oozies. That's the Ooze. The it's Ooze. Oh, the Ooze. It's the Ooze. Okay. It's supposed to kind of look like a Petri dish Was what we were, like, kind of trying to go. Yeah, because oh, that I actually totally makes, that, yeah.
0: that makes total sense because then the Ooze appears basically between every chapter as yeah, well. Yeah.
1: So. Um, it was so cool working uh, with Johnny. It was a lot of work, obviously, because it was just the two of us. And, like, the thing that's crazy about a book like I feel like it's probably cheaper to to print a book than it is to press a vinyl but you make up for that in like the time and effort and work that goes into designing it because what you don't think about when you're when you when you getting ready to self-publish your book you're like oh I need a good cover but you don't think about like the fact that a book is like an insane design project because I'm not a designer, so like I didn't think about this. But you can't just copy and paste like a Google Doc into like right. Adobe Illustrator. And call it a day, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's like it was damn. It, why not? It was why an insane not? amount. They need to of, figure yeah, that out exactly. So like we immediately <laughs> got on the same page about like we wanted to do the the Riso graph because it would be cost effective and and impactful because like the colors and everything, the way that it works um and uh we we got the cover down and then like the the biggest chunk of the work was the formatting the inside of it because um johnny would lay out the pages and then he's like you have to go through these and like make sure everything is right in terms of like punctuation italicize like formatting so like we would go through it like we went through it like four or five times together where i would just like a line edit the whole thing like i never want to read this book ever again because i've read it like twenty <laughs> uh yeah i think the fastest i did it i read it in like four hours on one of the final uh line copy editing for the design i was just going through it like really fast you know like page 78 line 17 like this word should be italicized you know like that kind of stuff um so that was the craziest part but it ultimately became like so much more uh rewarding for both of us yeah we, we, totally we didn't even meet in real life uh because we always worked over email back in the day and i guess we like knew a lot of the same people that our cross paths have never crossed besides just working on show flyers um and obviously because of the pandemic even though we live in the same city uh, we didn't get to hang out while we were working on this so we did the whole thing over phone and email and we finally met for the first time after the books arrived, uh, we went and had drinks at the Anchored Inn in Bushwick, uh, and we had a little Great. like mini right. COVID book party <laughs> outside, nice. but just for the two of us at, at Anchored Inn. Um, and it was it was just such a such a like rewarding thing to like have this beautiful object that we made, and it was a really bright spot in a dark time, like a fun thing to work on um, of the music industries. I guess it's like beginning to come back to life a little bit. Finally.
0: Thank goodness. Oh my
1: God. Right. Can you believe I just went to, yeah. um, I went to Bossa Nova, which is a dance club in, 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 Brooklyn, oh, yeah. um, on Friday, which was also crazy. Cause that place used to be really low key. Like you could kind of just roll up and go in, but I guess now it's like every, it's, it's like, you know, it's back and everybody wants to go out. So there was a line like all the way down the block. And I got sick. You guys got to be careful out there because we've been wearing masks and hand sanitizing for the last year. So your immune system is not ready to be (laughs) in a hot, sweaty room of strangers. (laughs) And I got sick right after I went. So be Uh, careful out there.
0: I'm glad you're feeling better now. Yes, it was just just funny.
1: It's like, wow, we finally... We're not you're not gonna get COVID if you got your vaccine, but you might get something else. So be careful. What about
0: I'm assuming you're gonna do another novel or oh yeah. Some other piece of fiction, because this came out great and it sounds like it's been a positive experience. But since you got your first one out of the way, you've been through the whole process. What's something that you learned? That now going into your second novel, you're like, I'm glad I know that now. So when I go through this process again, I'm aware that of this, basically. Anything in particular that comes to mind?
1: I think a lot of it's just confidence. Um, Yeah. I can't, it's like on the other side of this, I'm like, wow, I like managed this whole project and it got done, you know? and it's so now like you're, it,
0: you're like, you can do it. I could do you can, it. You, you know, know it's, you did it's, it. You could do it again. Yeah. Kind
1: of. And it's like, I, I'm in the, pro- I, I started another one. Um, I kind of feel like I needed to like get this story out in order to do more and to go like more outside of my wheelhouse a little bit. Um, like this is like the DC story. I mean, I guess this book, the book that I'm working on now, I don't want to talk about it too much. Uh, it also takes place in like the mid Atlantic region, DC, Maryland kind of area, but um I got about 100 pages. Uh, oh, all right, so you're pretty we're, far we're, into we're, it. We're cruising a little bit. I mean, it's kind of been on hold in the whole, like, rotten um, explosion of the last, like, month, like, dealing with all the mm-hmm. mailing. It's been crazy. That the, the, that You know what? That's what I learned is... The the postal service, give yourself plenty of time to deal with mailing whatever thing you're yeah. mailing because
3: that was if you're mailing crazy. a ton of stuff, yeah. it's
1: hard. Oh my god, I was on the the yeah. on hold with stamps.com last week for five hours over Bye. two days. Their customer service is trash. I'm gonna put them on blast, especially because they always <laughs> advertise in podcasts. Yeah. Oh, I hate
0: stamps.com. It's horrible. I have an account.
1: It's a scam. Um,
0: sometimes you put in you put in a real address and they're like, we don't know that address. Oh my I, god, I know. You, what are you talking about? It's it's a real address.
1: You know what they did so, to me? They uh, I I was printing out a bunch of labels and my printer ran out of ink, so I like turned the printer off and like canceled it so it wouldn't print out all the labels, thinking oh that it, thinking that it wouldn't charge me. But you can only reprint in the first 24 hours, and my oh, my other ink cartridge didn't get there yet, so I had to pay like $40 twice for like six labels. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm never going to see that money ever again. You know? Wow.
0: <laughs> Cause stamps. I'm like, it's like 10 week. hours
1: later. I I'm cold with them, you know?
0: Fucking hate you stamps.com yeah. That's such an easy situation where stamps.com could just be like, Oh, it's a one-time thing. We'll let you print it again.
2: Totally. That's,
0: that's ridiculous. If, that's if
2: you're really... uh, if you're listening, go to stamps dot com and enter code fuck you. Yes, exactly. Please. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, but that's how they get you, is it would have cost me twice as much uh to mail it with USPS directly. So that's how they get you. if you're a small business Because that's I mean, that's mostly what I learned and more than writing is just like how how like just what it's like to be your own boss kind of and like the the amount of responsibility that is. And it's like, it's always your credit card going into the right website,
0: (laughs) you know? Yeah. Mandy, you're doing it all. Yes. It's all, it's all
1: all your money.
0: All right. So since you mentioned that Johnny Campola worked on the cover with you, he's in the band P E we're going to play a song by P E To end this first part, and then we'll dive into the records that you picked. This song is called Pink Shiver by the great Brooklyn band P.E. We're back. We just heard Pink Shiver by P.E. Johnny Campola of P.E. Did the cover design for Rotten. And now we're going to talk about the awesome records that you picked. Starting out with Angel Olsen. How many disasters from phases. This is actually my latest, one of my most recent Purchases because I got that box set that she just put out. Did and she then put I out a box set? Yeah, I realized she did I didn't have this one, so then I I just added it to my order from Secretly Group or whatever. But yeah, great great album.
1: I love Angel Olsen. Um, I love and this song. I love this song. This song is so sad, <laughs> and it's really wistful. Um, I think you can tell uh, in the book that i mean obviously we all love music here we know that music has like a tremendous impact on like memory and stuff um and i think that i have a tendency to be nostalgic about music in the sense that like when i revisit something um especially if i haven't heard it in a while that i listen to it at a particularly like emotionally fraught time of my life that it like has the power to like immediately transport me back to that moment um and I don't know if I would necessarily say that about this Angel Olsen song in particular, uh, but for music in general, especially for like my time in New York, uh, I definitely feel like it's like one of those, um, she's like one of those artists, uh, a lot of sad subway rides listening to Angel Olsen records. You know, uh, I they, they say that you're not really a New Yorker until you're like comfortable crying in public, which is totally true, <laughs> by the way. Totally <laughs> it's true. It's like weeping on the subway. Uh, I've seen her a couple times in New York, and I remember I saw her at Webster Hall in uh, when she toured on the My Woman record, um, and the timing of that couldn't have been better because like I had just gotten dumped, and I was like so sad, and I was listening yep. to the Angel Olsen record all the time, and I went and saw her, and I had too much to drink at Webster Hall. And uh my friend wanted to t- talk to her after the show. Uh, and that interac- irac- interaction haunts me to this day and I like try to like block it out when I listen to, oh, no. to Angel Olsen. But like, I <laughs> looked like, at so sloppy much, and talking I think to that, her or
3: something.
1: Oh, I was just like drunk, you know, and was like emotional. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> just like <laughs> messy. In there. Me- just yeah. messy. um but also by the way, like when is the Angel Olsen, Sharon Van Etten co-headline tour being announced. Yeah. Didn't, didn't we all see that coming? That's like such an obvious marketing ploy. They put that song out. I was like, that, that <laughs> co-headline so good. is coming.
0: Yeah, it's a great song. And that does need to happen. That co-headlining tour. It would sell out in minutes. It would sell out seconds in
1: seconds.
0: Even. Seconds. I would set my reminder to get tickets for that. I would set a phone reminder to buy tickets at 10 a.m absolutely or that's usually when tickets go on sale either 10 a.m or noon never really any other times. So.
1: it's all uh I it's- I, you all of the marketing people they have like their little internal calendar when all this stuff needs to happen and go off it's it's a it's a rat race but i don't know i love this song i love how sparse it is i love that it's so just like the guitar and and Angel on it, it it makes it more impactful in certain ways. I like that about this record in general. This record was very, uh, it was different from her others in that way.
3: Makes me wonder why I ever bother leaving town. All that time I was trying to be clever, didn't
1: know that Next. I'd be loving.
0: Nirvana life. trained you off of their classic record. Never mind. I
1: can't believe that. you have that. It's so cool. Totally. Um, I picked this song because uh, you know how like every city has like that station that plays like all of the '90s alt rock.
0: Yeah, yeah totally. you know,
1: like they play like the Offspring and Nirvana and Green Day and, uh you know, all those guys, Pearl Jam. Um Ours was DC 101. Um, I just DC one. I picked this song is like DC 101 is just like, obviously, like a lot of that music is corny. I would definitely not classify Nirvana as corny in any way, but a lot of that music is corny, but it's so formative. When you're oh, just absolutely. when you're just like yeah. discovering like the world of like alternative music and you like find that radio station and you like listen to it in the car. Um I feel like it changes it changes you and it it opens up this whole world of like music that you didn't really know about beyond what they're playing on the radio. Uh like DC 101 they had a they had a music festival every summer uh at the RFK S- uh, stadium, stadium yeah. parking lot uh where the redskins used to play which is a sentence that dates me because they don't play there anymore i don't even know if that yeah. stadium's still there uh and they're obviously not called the redskins anymore for, uh, which is a good thing finally yeah, um, a football team
2: now
1: the washington football team exactly and i remember <laughs> that was like the first time i was ever hung over in my life was the day of chili cook-off um when i was like 16 or 17 it was the offspring was the headliner and it was just like so messy i got like hit in the head with like a bunch of like stuff because there's like people and it's just it was bananas but um i also picked this song and it's the same reason i picked the or i guess i don't want a spoiler alert of what's coming so Uh, there's another song that i picked this also i picked for this reason but uh my my high school friend girlfriends Um, like the ones that I would be like going to shows with or getting into shit with. Um, When I was a teenager in D.C., we had like this uh, this mix CD that I would like kill to have it now because I don't remember everything that was on it. (laughs) I just remember like what the mix was, you know, like the mix is like this is what we're listening to or going and getting ready to go out to the show on Friday night. You know, Uh, it definitely had Nirvana on it. I don't remember if it had this Nirvana song in particular. This is just my favorite song off the record but it definitely had, it had El Scorcho by Weezer. I can confidently say it had the How Soon Is Now cover by Tattoo, which I don't know if you've ever heard that cover. It's fabulous. Yes. Um, And it had- God
0: bless Tattoo. Tattoo. All the things she said.
1: Yes, an an iconic track that stands up. I have that song on my running playlist. I'm not ashamed to admit on this podcast. Um, That's
0: a good song. It's a banger. I
1: love that song. Uh, yeah. So I just like I, this. This I, I really, especially now that the book is out, and I've been like, I, I made a playlist even of all of the songs that are like and like artists that are like referenced in the text, um, which was interesting for me to listen to in retrospect, because I was like, oh wow, it's all kind of like, even though it's like all over the map sound wise, it's all kind of the same vibe. Um, which is funny how that can happen, but, uh, I would kill to have that mix CD now and know which Nirvana song actually made it on the, made the cut.
0: Yeah. I hope you find it Me someday. Too. I feel like it'll be very, uh, it'll be like destiny when you find it at your parents' house or something.
1: It's gotta be easy. I feel like <laughs> I, I've, yeah. I've been going through it recently cause I, uh, This girl who runs this blog in Brooklyn that's going to do an excerpt of the book in a couple weeks. um, She was like, if you have any like photos of places that are like referenced in the text, like I would love to put them on here. And I used to have these awesome disposable photos that I took when I was in high school at some shows uh, and they're gone and I can't find them because it's like I uh... lost the files in like a computer change. And I'm like yeah, devastated. I'm cool. It just blows my mind that like I could talk to you guys about some like product, and like you're gonna go on Instagram in two hours, and you're gonna get an advertisement for the product. But like they can't help me find these files that certainly exist somewhere <laughs> in like the, yeah. the the like the the internet sphere, um, and help me with the, get like salvage these like precious photos of people from my past. I wish
0: yeah it's funny i recently not a lot but i found like a handful of old photos from like 2004 on a digital camera and it's funny because they're all like five gigabytes and stuff so they're all like really small files and stuff so the quality is not like the best but it's it's still interesting to see them it was only like a handful i wish i could have found more but
2: it's so like we can take so many photos now but it's so easy for them to disappear like my mom at home has a drawer that's overflowing with physical photos that will literally never go anywhere
1: oh my god absolutely and i used to have them i don't know what happened to them the last time i saw them was like two or three apartments ago um some apartment i used to i lived in So, so many apartments in new york city and they're they got eaten up in one of the moves and i'm like devastated um
0: because it's like I've lost touch
1: Sunday. with some of the people in those in those photos, and I and I wish that I had them, but alas.
3: Next, priest.
0: Doctor over out off of bodies and control and money and power. Great uh, debut from this awesome DC yeah, we, DC we event. It's so, not
1: though. That's yeah. the thing is they had a an all they had. Did you ever listen to tape two, which is the no? Yeah. So
0: I guess I'm I need to dive back in. Yeah.
1: It was today. I went through like a oh, like a, into like a total hole with priests. Uh, Cause I tried to like, I was like listening to all of these songs before we got on. So I like had like anecdotes and stuff, you know, to like ready, yeah. uh, giving them some thought or whatever. And I got into such a priest hole. Cause they're so iconic, like such an iconic DC band. Um, this is my favorite song off of that record, but I also loved the one, they only have it on Bandcamp, which I guess I should be like better about practicing what I preach and like buy the Bandcamp camp download. Cause it's like, I can't scream <laughs> it. Um, I love this band and I will never forget when they first came out, which was when I was like living in D.C. proper right before I lived it, moved to New York, because like I said, I grew up in like the Maryland suburb, but um, I was living in D.C. when they started playing shows um, and I saw them at The Pinch, which is a real place that is referenced in the book. Um, and I was just like, whoa, Like, what is this? What is this band? You know, because Uh, obviously like most of the bands in like the hardcore scene were dudes but we did have our fair share of bands that were girls also but even the bands that were girls they were definitely like playing like hardcore you know and then like this band came out and I was like what is this you know like there was no one else that was making music like that um, the 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 guitarist had just
2: like an incredible sound yeah and And it was like
1: it was like and then they just blew up and I was like wow I can't believe I God, i think I, I think they might have been opening for pygmy lush which is another like yeah. dc band that is referenced in the book um, yeah yeah uh but i love that band and i think that they're so great and i'm glad that they like kind of put dc punk back on the map in know
0: yeah way. they definitely did and they so they i was in, disappointed like, this that, whole, that they broke up this yeah. whole
1: new era of like the like with like yeah. flasher and sneaks and like yeah flasher like, is awesome cool yeah DC bands that are that sound a little bit different you know they don't they don't sound like D like they are DC bands necessarily you know if that makes sense
2: yeah totally. we, we saw them right after the Trump trap I think it was the night the Trump travel ban was announced and it was like weird and
0: kind of like cathartic to it was it was, it was a weird time it was a weird time and I think it was overturned in the middle of their set or something.
2: Yeah, 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 that, yeah, yeah. It was blocked in the middle of their set. That's what that's what I'm thinking of.
1: They played that a better. show right before the inauguration. Apparently, I was like I said, I got into like a total hole. I watched like their KXP set from 2017 and like was reading about. They played like a show with the Black Cat that had this whole long name it was like anti-fascist sound in the Capitol against Trump or something you know like some like long drawn out thing but it was right before the inauguration um but you should definitely check out tape two. I remember I bought bought it because it was the first cassette tape I mean I this is like how old I am is that like it's like the second round of buying cassette tapes because i owned cassette tapes in like the 90s <laughs> and now I, this is the yeah. first cassette tape i bought as like an adult it's cool you're amongst
0: yeah, you're yeah, amongst exactly. fellow old uh, people about, I guess we, we
1: were at, at elderly a, millennials
2: yeah yeah we're with the, the geriatrics. we were
0: at a we were at a roof show over the weekend uh and it was a bunch of like i guess all the bands were in there. Early twenties. And we, we were definitely the oldest people there, Zach. But uh, it was I still think
2: fun. one of the band members' dads was there. So that was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I
1: felt like that at Bossa Nova on, on uh, Friday night. The the three kids in front of me and line were all like dancers that had just graduated from dance college. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah I was yeah. like,
0: whoa. <laughs> Yeah, I remember we were talking to some dude at that Roof show. He was like, oh, I turned 21, like, last month. We are like, "Oh no!" Uh, we're, uh, then he, like, asked us something. they like, we're 33, dude. So <laughs> okay. yeah, I remember telling him that. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was funny.
1: But I bought a cassette player just to listen to that tape, and I broke the tape, and I'm, like, still broken oh. up about it because it's, like, so iconic. Uh, I highly recommend
0: it. I could help you perform. I've performed emergency surgery. Oh, it's on long tapes gone. Before.
1: That was that was oh, an apartment that was before the one that I last saw the photographs. Of it. <laughs> it's like different These remnants of to- the past, just like strewn across Brooklyn. Which is kind of you're, you're gonna
2: find like a box in a corner, and it's gonna have all, all this of it stuff in, <laughs> in it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> like it all t- this t- stuff's gonna magically appear: photos, um, the tape. Yeah, yeah. let's manifest it. Yeah, we're <laughs> manifesting it right now. Oh, with the
3: touch That bites itself to keep their love Oh, that cocky god has a serum That cocky god has a serum So, swallow it up Swallow it up Swallow it up
0: Swallow it up Right, next Fiona Apple Criminal off of title. So something I was saying recently about this record, uh the three of us as older millennials, when Fiona Apple first came out, so I was probably like, you know, young when she first came out, but she was older than me at the time because I was just a kid. And I just remember being struck at, you know, how good she was even back then and even reflecting on it. I mean, okay, so I guess what I'm trying to say, I kind of like fucked up what I was trying to say so what I was trying to say is when I was like however old I was when I was young you know she was older than me so she still felt old so it was just like oh there's this musician whatever who's making music of course as an older person but now reflecting back on when this record came out it's such a mature sounding record and it's such a good record and she's only like 17 or 18 years old when she put this album out which is incredible. Oh yeah,
1: she's, I mean, I'm kind of a poser Fiona Apple fan in the sense that I don't know that many Fiona Apple songs. I'm probably a person that should listen to a lot of Fiona Apple, but um, this was another song that was on the our mixtape that was like a DC 101, like regular rotation. Yeah. Um, And I always loved it. Uh, Obviously, it's an it's a amazing song, but, and the, and, but it was also just such a different brand of like female sexuality that was like usually presented to girls of that time you know like we're having like you know Christina Aguilera Genie in a Bottle like Britney Spears whatever Uh, not to be a hater because like I love all that stuff too but this was just like it was like different and kind of intimidating you know Um, and I'm like a sucker for that whole like Christina Ricci like Prozac Nation girl interrupted whole vibe oh yeah um so i just i love this song and i love the video um and it's just holds up to this day
3: don't you tell me to deny it. i done wrong and i want to suffer for my sins i've come to you because i need guidance to be true and i just
0: P.S. Elliot, shitty and tragic, off of Sadie.
1: This I love this album, and it's so ironic and kind of a bummer because I remember when I was like in high school, college, I would see P.S. Elliot on show fires all the time in like the D.C. area, but I never really saw them or like went, and I wish that I had because fast forward like however many years i'm like i guess it was like 2014 at this point because it was when i right when i moved to new york um i was so into waxahachie i loved that i mean i love i love all of her records and it was like difficult to pick i ultimately went with ps elliot but uh you had a bunch of the other ones too i was so obsessed with american weekend at the time um And I went to Minneapolis to visit a friend of mine and we went record shopping and I was in a record store in Minneapolis. And I was like, oh, I remember this band. And like I knew in the present, I was like, oh, this is Katie Crutchfield from Waxahachie. Um, I'm gonna buy this, you know, and I I bet I'll like it and I loved it. Um, And I was so bummed that I never went and saw them at like some tiny basement show somewhere in DC. Yeah, I would have because I don't know that this album is great. And it's just like it's it, I mean, we're talking about Fiona Apple being precocious when she wrote the uh, title. Um These girls also I'm like, how old were they? Mary. when They wrote this album and like yeah. the lyrics are so sophisticated. Um, and like I said, I'm like, I'm a sucker for like angry girl music of the indie rock persuasion. It's I think that's how they. Like they describe it describe 10, they say, it in 10 things yeah. I about you yeah <laughs> which you also have letters to Cleo in your collection which I was like ooh that's a yeah. that's a deep cut like I, I love that so um, I love this band because it's kind of like Katie Crutchfield but that you know it's like more that yeah. it's more it's more like punk I guess in a way it has that kind of like youthful energy that I love totally yeah
0: I love this band. This is like my favorite band in the late aughts, early 2010s. As huge, huge fan of Times New Viking, their last full length dancer acquired the song Want to Exist. It's such a band that just is so emblematic of DIY and oh everything God, I that I think DIY is about.
1: Uh, absolutely. And it's kind of funny because it's like, I'm interested in what you have to say about this band because I honestly don't know hardly anything about this band. Um, I, this is one of the only songs I know by them and it's, I picked it because uh, this guy was dating my last semester of college that like there are pieces of him in the book I would say not completely but like I said there's like composite characters and experiences that are pulled from like all over the place but um, he showed me this song and that guy was such a piece of shit but he had such great taste in music and uh he showed me so <laughs> many cool bands uh and this was one of them and i love this song and he he was into like all that it's ironic we're talking about burger records in like a negative way but like burger records like they did like you know it was like they did usher in like this whole yeah. thing of me mu- like this whole scene of music that like like the garage rock kind of like renaissance thing that happened a couple years ago um they contributed a lot of good music to the universe you know um he was really into all of those bands so i didn't really know about them before i i dated him but um i like this song because like is this song supposed to be like an homage of some type am i crazy it sounds like really familiar but like like the song that I think of when I listen to it, I can't like, it's like on the tip of my tongue and I can never yeah. name it. I don't, I'm not
0: totally sure, but it reminds me, it has a vibe that you know what is I very, mean? Familiar. Yeah, absolutely. very familiar. It feels very
1: familiar, but it's a, it's a great song. And I, and I, I, I did look up, I like did read a little bit about this band uh, cause I didn't really know anything about them, but uh, they are, they're like DIY from like Kansas or something.
0: Um. Columbus Ohio and um, I mean they're basically their whole story is really interesting to me because they're all like art stu- school students met in art school um, you know recorded to four track at a time when they probably like they they're all like that's really all we n- knew how to do but like they formed in like the 2000s so they could have used a computer but it, it was kind of, and then at a certain point, they It was kind of deliberate for them. They didn't really want to do something more hi-fi at any point, and it was kind of like perform, kind of like performance art for them, almost to just make a record that kind of sounded shitty but great songs. Great way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this record is actually. Um, interestingly enough, they kind of, they got signed to Matador at a certain point, put out two records with Matador. It didn't work. Then they signed with Merge. And so this is the last full length that they put out. And from what I understand, they kind of wanted to make an attempt at making a record that, you know, fidelity wise sounded a little better and like kind of see what would happen from there. Um, and it's a good record, but I guess it didn't Take an take off for them enough to be like, oh, we we want to continue doing this. So they kind of ran out of steam after this, and I think didn't they never formally broke up, but they've basically not really done anything since 2012 ish. So it's a, a interesting band. I really like liked them a lot, and I still like come back and visit their their records and this is a good one
1: i like it for that reason kind of because it like sounds like it was made by like art students in the midwest
0: yeah totally you know what i mean like
1: it's such a vibe and such a like a, a a period of time that they like managed to encapsulate um even though like, I'm like, I don't know anything else about this band. Like you just told me more than I like, even knew. I just knew this song and I saw it on your, I was like, whoa, I love that song, you know, I, um, and, and, it's, have, and it's emblematic to me of like a time in my life too, you know, like, totally. uh, so I, I liked it. I picked it for that reason too.
0: I, um, I went to, this, this band was such a polarizing band too. I feel like anyone I ever came across either like loved them like me Loved them a lot or like absolutely hated them. And I think just such a prime example of that was uh, I saw them at Maxwell's in Hoboken in the summer of 2011. There was maybe like five people there, and I told my friend who lived around the block to come. And because uh, at that point I lived, out in new jersey still with my my parents and uh, i went to go to the bathroom and then i come back and he's gone and he like texted me and he said i just couldn't take it anymore (laughs) dude so i had to go home
1: (laughs) that seems about right but i like that's, that's also like part of the reason i like it is that it's like it's it's like it's kind of like that you know that band um i hate myself did you ever hear that band no. They were like an emo band. I don't know when they put this album out, but they made like a it was a it was a, a an emo band that started as a joke. Or I guess it's, like oh, okay. emo, like it's kind of like screaming Emo like that line. Band. It was supposed to be a joke. Cause it's like I hate myself, you know? It's supposed to be kind of like tongue in cheek. And all of the song titles and the name of the album and all of the song titles are like those really, really like long emo <laughs> names. Um and it was supposed to be like funny, but then like people liked it. You know, <laughs> so it became like kind oh, of like a like a like a culty uh, emo record that people love. Um, I think I forget what it's, it's like called like ten songs. Oh, no, that's Ditro. I'm like going into like a hole with like the Screamo stuff now, but um, it kind of reminds me of that where it's like so intentionally like pretentious but works. <laughs>
0: And last, Parquet Courts, instant disassembly off of sunbathing animal.
1: Where do you even begin with Parquet Courts?
0: Yeah, I've seen them many, many times in New York over the years. How are they
1: that good? They're kind of like, I feel the same way about Parquet Courts almost that I do about like priests for DC. It's just like they they started making music that that sounded like nothing else that people of any anyone else was doing um i think and uh yeah i just think that uh andrew savage is the guy's name right andrew's his name he's such a brilliant songwriter like where do you even begin this song like breaks my heart you know um it's one of those songs i feel and he has a couple the the best parquet court songs in my opinion. I love, like, the fast ones, too, that are, like, a little bit more, like, um, manic-sounding. But I love the ones, like, like this one, or, like, Human Performance is, like, another good example that are just, like, the long, kind of, like, yeah drawn-out ones where it's, like, you really kind of have to pay attention to, to get, like, it's, like, I find myself with those, like, I'll get into, like, a hole with one of them where I'll listen to, like, on repeat for, like, a couple days... Cause it's like i'm trying to like extract every lyric you know because it's like so poetic the way that he writes songs is and you have and if you like pay attention and you actually listen to what he's saying it's like you get this whole like meaning from it um it's just it's just really layered i love this song the, the lyric uh what is the lyric in the verse where he's like a look from you slips me to a blank page in my soul i'm like
0: yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah.
1: Damn. Damn. Like right through the heart, you know, it's so good. Um, yeah, this is probably my favorite Parquet Court song if I had to it's a good one. one. It's
0: definitely a it's great one. It's a long one. one,
1: but it's like, it's well worth the journey. And it's like, I love, I lo- I, I'm i a person. I like a long song. Like I struggle. I almost picked for, for this, one of the ones that was like a, a an alternate that did not make the cut was, uh, Street Hassle by Lou Reed, uh, which is referenced in the book. In actually, the book, yes.
0: yes. I, I actually love when it's referenced <laughs> in the book because it describes, I guess, I forget which character, but Lulu. someone that would have it, Lulu, have a Kylie lip kit and a first edition of Lou Reed's Street Hustle. Yes, so well, that Lulu was probably one of my favorite juice. references in the book. Yeah, that's funny.
1: But that song is like 10 minutes long, you know, and it's like, I like a song where you kind of have to commit to like get the, uh, the full meaning of it. You know, you kind of have to, you have to stop and sit down and like really listen to it. Cause like, how many things do we have nowadays that we actually focus on that into like, like one thing at once? I feel like what's kind of different about, um, our generation than previous ones. is just that like everything in our lives has a soundtrack to it. Yeah, I mean, do you ever totally. walk around and not listen to stuff like I, I there's sometimes when I'm trying to practice like being more mindful I'll go on walks and I'll leave my phone at home so I don't listen to music or anything when I'm out like going for a walk and I just like pay attention to like what's going on
3: cats a-
0: Sadly, we're coming to the end of today's episode. Mandy, it was so great to chat with you about records and your new book, Rotten. For people that want to get a copy of Rotten, where can they get one?
1: They can get it on my website, MandyBrownHoltz.com. You can also get it on other outlets, but you should always, if you're trying to buy a book, you should try and buy it. As the same way when you're buying Absolutely. music as directly as you can because if you buy it on Amazon I only get 70% of the money um, but it's kind of a necessary evil because if you want to like utilize any of the tools that they have for independent authors you need to have your book on Amazon which sucks but it is what it is you can get it on my website um, I would love to sell ebooks but I would also love to do another pressing of the real books Because they turned out so great and people ate them right up, Um, so I'm trying to push that too. I will do a second run of books if it gets, if my wait list gets to 100, because I don't have the constitution to front the money for books again. (laughs) I I did it once, and I'm like not going to do it again. So, um, I when the wait list gets to 100, I will send out an exclusive pre order link to those people first um before i open it up to everybody else um and then i'll do another run which i would really like to do i would i would love to sell ebooks. i would love to see all, sell real books also um but yeah I, I just i hope people i hope people love it and that it, it means something to them you know
0: cool and what yeah, what's next we did. yeah we both really liked it what's next for you now that rotten is out
1: um i try to sell it you know try to sell it as much as possible it would be obviously the dream would be if it got like picked up and and you know and it was in bookstores that would be really cool but i'm just trying to like make moves for like the next phase of uh life post-pandemic you know like getting ready for like to be thrown back into the job market once the government stops uh taking good care of all of the music industry people that lost their jobs because my job didn't come back before this but still doing audio femme stuff get, I'm having a blast i've, I've really like do- dove into more of that now that i've had the time and writing more like that and i hope to keep um the piece that you mentioned in the, the new york times was like a huge um dream come true for me also yeah that's awesome um so i hope to keep freelancing for them hopefully and and for for other publications because it's just like it kind of feels you know i feel like what was been cool about the pandemic um like i worked like three or four jobs like part-time jobs before this yeah why you know why was i doing that and it's kind of i think a lot of people have taken more ownership and control over their lives like is it's like there was nothing else to do you know so many friends of mine have just like started their own businesses or started selling their own like crafts or, or whatever they do you know like I had one of my jobs um, before this all started was I worked at this cycling studio in the city that was like it was called I'm actually wearing the t shirt right now it's called the monster cycle and like the whole point of it was that it was like soul cycle but like set to like cool music you know, nice. like, like good music. Um, and, uh, two of the girls from that play, like, like I have a bleeding heart. This is me getting on my soapbox before we, uh, wrap up for the independent fitness professionals. Cause they've been sc- as screwed over by this whole thing as the, um, music industry has, they're still dealing with all sorts of restrictions and have wow. not gotten any extra help from the government. So two of these girls, I know they started their own platform, um, online to like compete with like peloton and youtube and all that stuff so it's just it's been cool to see people kind of be like i don't have to work a shitty minimum wage job i i Mm -hmm. you know that like i I have a choice i i can take this time where i have a little bit of extra support to like really think about what i want to do you know and what what serves me so i'm i'm trying to just keep doing that i guess write write another book maybe (laughs) i hope
0: cool yeah, we can't wait for the next one.
1: Thank you. Sure. I'm so glad you guys liked it and that you wanted to talk to me about it. This was really, really cool.
0: Oh, yeah. This was a blast. Great, yeah, great lot fun, of fun chatting with you. Zach, you're awesome.
1: Yes. Mandy, Everybody's you're awesome. We're all yeah. awesome.
0: <laughs> Three <laughs> awesome, awesome elder millennials here on the call. Tom, the,
2: the term is is, is Geriatric. Is that Geriatric what we're called? Millennial. Geriatric
1: millennials? I don't yeah, know. it's even wor-
2: it's even worse than elder. Elder implies like wise. Geriatric implies like non-functional Drooling. <laughs> non-functional. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> L- little bit of both. Drooling. I, I Drooling. don't own a house.
1: <laughs> like, you know. All that. All the yeah. all the implications that come with it.
0: All right. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you, Zach.